outlaws driving their throbbing steel machines. Defiling whatever they touch. We want to be free to ride on the machines without being hassled by the man. Yeah, we don't want nobody telling us what to do. We don't want nobody pushing us around. Welcome everybody back to Chopper Profits. I'm Mike. I'm your host, and tonight uh, I have a guest via Skype. This is our second Skype interview. I'm pretty stoked, actually. It's been working out. Um, he has a little little company called Pangea Speed, and uh, lives in beautiful Salt Lake uh, or, or around Salt Lake. Um, he has a a store up online. You can take a look at some of his goods at. Uh, you just go to PangeaSpeed.com. Uh, and click on store and check out the things he has for sale there. Please welcome to the show, Andy Carter. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. You know, obviously the people who are listening to the podcast never get the advantage of, of uh, listening to us kind of chit-chat before we record. But right. uh, just talking with you over the last hour or so, um, it's been a great time. So I'm looking forward to kind of diving in uh, even more here. Um, before we get rolling uh, into the actual interview... Um, is there is there anything you want to tell anyone about uh, Pangea or anything you have coming up before we start getting into uh, into your life? I've just been working hard to try and get my parts line dialed in, so everything's in stock all the time. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's harder than I thought it was going to be having uh, having everything um, you know on the shelves at all times, but that's my goal. So. Well, and it's it's a difficult task, I probably to say the least, because you're handcrafting uh, all these parts, right? Yeah, for the most part, and I'm just I'm a one man show, so it's like uh, I always tell everybody, you know, they're like, "Oh, what do you do there?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm the janitor, I'm the accountant, I'm the uh, guy who puts the new light bulbs in when they burn out, and then <laughs> I'm the welder, the machinist, and the <laughs> the painter." And uh, all of that jazz. So, so what you're saying is you're looking for interns. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> if you're looking for a torturous life in uh, learning to machine, well, I guess it would be the benefit of learning these various, you know, the trades. Um, the torturous part would be you don't get paid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you have to deal with the post office on a regular basis. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Well, Andy, um, in usual fashion of Chopper Profits, uh, why don't you tell us what it was like growing up in the Carter household? All right. The Carter household. Um, well, I, I'm a youngster. I feel like uh, me and Matt Olson are probably like the youngest guys <laughs> right now in this kind of deal. That's not true, actually, but I feel like I'm a youngster when I'm surrounded by all of these other chopper pros you know <laughs> all the old guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'll say it for you <laughs> yeah so so yeah uh, let's see my parents are uh they're from the bay area um 
grew up in in uh, San Jose, and then my parents moved to uh, Utah to go to BYU, um, which is a university just, it's like 40 miles south of downtown Salt Lake in Provo. Um, my dad wanted to be an industrial designer, um, and they have a really good industrial design program there, so moved there to do that. Um, so my parents were going there, and then they had uh, my older brother, Cam, and, and then me. It's just the two of us. Uh, my parents were just kind of, you know, struggling to get by. We lived in a mobile home, and my dad worked at Seven Eleven. you know, when he wasn't going to school or whatever. <clears throat> and then uh, my dad's always kind of been into airplanes and boats and, you know, just kind of making stuff uh my dad graduated from school and then and got a couple different jobs building exhibits and whatnot and uh you know just trying to juggle me and my brother and going you know wrapping up school and then getting a real job and all that um so we did that for a little bit we moved around a bunch just within the state eventually the day came that he got fired from his job at that day, he decided to start his own model making and, and prototyping shop. Me and my brother, we'd kind of go over there after school and hang out and sweep the shop for a buck or whatever. And, <laughs> you know, eventually that turned into, um, you know, a little bit more responsibility. And we'd just uh, end up going over there after school and working all the time at the shop. Um, and the shop had, you know, a full machine shop and, yeah. and wood shop and casting. And, you know, it was pretty much uh, designed to create models for, uh, for companies and, and prototypes um, so that they could develop products further. Um, that's kind of how I got into making stuff, you know. I was going to say, needless to say, you probably had some of the best model airplanes ever. Like when well, you'd go over there. Yeah, well, that's what I was gonna. That's where I was gonna go with that. Is that me and my brother? When we were kids, we were way into model cars. Like my dad, my dad was really into model airplanes um, because he was super into flight, but couldn't afford to <laughs> build an airplane. By right. any means. we spent a lot of time. My my dad's like he's this really cool dude that's super dorky. He likes really cool stuff, but he's, like, really nerdy at the same time. <laughs> and uh, so we – I spent a huge portion of my childhood going to model airplane races. Mm -hmm. You know, so Saturday we would get together in the car and go up some mountain and, and go flying remote-controlled gliders, you know. Wow. Um, and. I, I kind of checked out on it. Like, you know, it's, I think it's the age old thing of like, you don't want to do what your dad does right. kind of thing. Um, we'd go do that. And then, yeah, my dad was in the plastic models. Uh, he usually did airplanes and my brother was kind of into airplanes, but my dad, I remember one day I was probably like, I was probably like six or seven and he came home and, and, uh, was like, okay, we're going to go to the hobby shop. And so he bought me my first model car. And I, it was like a, 
some sort of Trans Am, like a Macho TA or something. Mm-hmm. I came home. It was like a snap tight. It was a piece of junk. Like you could finish <laughs> it in 10 minutes kind of thing. Right. So we sat on the floor and put that thing together. And then I was addicted at that point, like to building model cars. I ended up getting really into building lowrider uh, model cars. And, mm-hmm. you know, the older I got, the more extensive I'd go. You know, me and my brother would, uh, you know, chop the tops or, or, you know, like lower them and put little Dayton wheels on them. And mm-hmm. you can buy these kits where you, it gives you like eight of these electric motors and you wire up all these crazy little pulley systems with strings mm-hmm. to make the car have hydraulics and stuff. Awesome. Um, yeah. Actually, one time I thought it was pretty funny. We, um, I got a, what was it? It was like a 55 Nomad mm-hmm. model. Um, and I came up with this crazy idea, like, okay, we're going to make this Nomad into a truck. Hmm. And, and so we cut the top. Like, me and my brother decided to, like, team up on this one and, and like, really get custom. It was going to have hydraulics and Dayton's, and it was going to have carpet, spark plug wires on that. We'd cut up the that really small phone wire and <laughs> use as uh spark plug cables and stuff so we came up with this idea we're all let's just cut the top off of this nomad and then we can take the back windshield and flip it around and use it for the back window and then we got it like pretty much all done (laughs) and then we were showing it to my dad and he's like oh yeah that's a that's a uh, el camino <laughs> and looking at, well, yeah, that's that's literally uh el camino <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> you guys have worked so hard on it and then yeah he's like damn we should just bought the el camino uh right we should just bought the el camino model you know <laughs> um so yeah um my parents were pretty cool like as far as just what i don't like i look back at it and it's like I'm stoked that my parents let me and my brother do a lot of the stuff that we did. It's kind of crazy just thinking about it. Like we didn't really have a lot of money. I mean, we weren't poor, but we didn't really have a lot of money because my dad was trying to start his shop and it was like every, I, I get it now that I'm like trying to do my own thing. And it's like every extra cent that you have goes into that. And it's like, even when you're making money, you got to like make sure that next month is going to be okay and stuff. But it was always pretty cool. Like whenever we wanted to do something that was sort of expensive or pushing the envelope or whatever, like my parents tried to figure out a way that we could do that. You know, like I wanted to get a guitar Mm -hmm. when I was, when I was pretty young and you know, they weren't just going to go out and buy it for for me, you know, but mm-hmm. they were like, okay, like, if you want to go to the shop and, you know, clean up every day or whatever, then you'll have a chance to earn money to get this guitar. Or, or like, um, my mom would go to the thrift store all the time and uh, she would she'd go there and, and take me and my brother and be like, okay, like, you guys can spend, like, you know, two bucks each or whatever. Mm -hmm. Me and my brother always ended up, we'd buy 
electronics, like some crappy old VCR that was broken or something. Mm-hmm. We'd take this stuff home and just take it apart, like just to see how, you know, like these little motors worked and like, I don't know if we really learned a whole lot from it, but it was fun to like go through and take that stuff apart. And, you know, even if it's like acting like this PC board that you got out of like a Walkman or something is, is a, uh, I don't know, some sort of bomb or something, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, you, you learn by, uh, by doing, I mean, most, most people learn by doing when they, when they really learn. And so, I mean, by taking it apart, you were, you were becoming familiar with, you know, various different electronic components. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'm just glad that I had the ability to go through and, and just kind of have a chance to mess around with some stuff like that, you know? And it, oh, you know, my dad was like a pretty smart guy and I'm sure he could have like sat down with us and explained everything. And sometimes he would, you know, but I thought it was pretty cool that like my mom was willing to let me, you know, plug my guitar amp into the wall and start pulling wires out of it. And the next thing, you know, I'm blowing the fuse on the house and <laughs> all the lights are shutting down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, so yeah, I, I think I, I was really lucky as far as that goes to have parents that you know like when I I got my first skateboard when I was I don't know I think I was like five or six or something mm-hmm. and and like they saw that I really latched onto it and and encouraged me to like you know continue using it if I you know if I felt like that was something that was important to me. It wasn't like they had this preconceived notion of what their kids were going to do. Like, you're going to play football. Like, I like football, so you're going to like football, you know? I feel like a lot of parents kind of superimpose their dreams on their kids, you know? Totally. And I always thought it was pretty cool that my parents didn't really seem to do that. It was like, as long as you're not, you know, doing drugs or fighting kids or whatever, like, as long as you're not being a jackass... Mm-hmm. then cool like go for it you know That's, um it's i think it's uh it's rare to find parents who you know are not so selfish that they do try to um you know force their kids into doing something because to be a parent, I mean, you got to sacrifice a lot, and that's another sacrifice to just allow your kid to fail, to do things, to like go out and you know blow up something, and you know pull wires out of the house, and whatever, whatever it may be. <laughs> like, it's okay to allow your your child to fail at things that you know aren't going to cost them their life. Right. Let them learn. That's pretty. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel pretty blessed. You know, pretty lucky that I that I had the opportunity to, to do that. And I never really thought about it like that in like a failure mode, you know? Yeah. I mean, failure in a good way too. Like, uh, I think for sure. I mean, but you know, now that you bring that up, it's like, it's like, uh, I always thought it was crazy when we'd go to the skate park as a kid Mm Mm-hmm. And there's always the kid that goes with you that doesn't really know how to skateboard very good. Yeah, that was like, me. You know, you're just skating around and you're like, dude, why aren't you skating? And they're like, <laughs> well, I'm not good. And it's like, well, yeah, you're not going to get any better standing there. Like, right. <laughs> drop in and slam or whatever, you know? Like, it doesn't really matter. Like, 
nobody at the skate park cares if you suck or not. Like the only thing they care about is if you're going to cut them off and like waste their time. But it's like everybody kind of gets their time if you're not an idiot, you know? Right. But I never really, I guess where I'm going with that is that I never really felt like I never had that feeling of like, Oh, like I shouldn't do this because somebody might care, you know? Yeah. I think that's been one of the most lucky. I don't know how, my parents drilled that into me or whatever, but I, I think that that's been super beneficial to not have that like worry. Like I real, it's like, yeah, I'll build some spaceship looking motorcycle. I don't <laughs> yeah. Like if you don't like it, then you can go kick rocks. Like I didn't build it for you. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? For me. you know, if you don't like it, then piss off or go build one that you do like, you right. know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that is. If if parents, if it's something that parents instill, or maybe maybe it's more what they model. You know, maybe in their lives, like your dad being into you know the model plane racing, like model airplane racing for so long. Like he probably didn't give a crap what anybody thought. He just really liked doing it. Yeah. And so he probably modeled that for you. I don't know. I mean, I'm just taking a, a big guess, but. Yeah, I think a lot of it too is is, uh, and I think that, that it's interesting. Because I, you know, as I've been listening to more and more of these interviews, it's like, I feel like every one of us is into skateboarding, you yeah, know? Like, there's a lot. <laughs> skateboarding and hardcore music. Like, yeah. like yeah. I mean, that really, I think that that, you know, to not try and get like super deep on it, but it's like skateboarding really did like form me to be who I am you know mm-hmm. like at least I believe so it's like I don't know like as a kid you know I, I once again I'm young but I feel like I started skateboarding in the real in the early 90s and it seemed like you know from my perspective it it was not a cool thing to do mm-hmm. like at my school it, it wasn't the the like rad thing to do you know mm-hmm. and I think that situation basically makes you think through a lot of things, you know, like, wow, I really like doing this, but it's not like the the hip thing to do or like the in thing to do. So like, should I keep doing it or should I just do what everybody else is doing, you know? And then, and then the other aspect of like, sneaking out and going skateboarding late at night and like exploring (laughs) the city and, like looking at, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but every time I walk down the street, I can't stop thinking about skateboarding. You know, it's like, Oh, look at that curb that's waxed or, Oh, like that handrail looks awesome. Or that like, that's crazy that these architects made these brick, you know, quarter pipes into this thing. Like they don't even know like how cool that is that they just fabricated this building to skateboard on, you know? Maybe um, or maybe they did on purpose. Yeah, maybe it was some <laughs> rogue architect that that you know loves skateboarding. Right. But I think you know through that it's like then I got into getting into skateboarding. You know, then I got into hardcore, and that you know that whole scene is basically built around you know saying fuck you mm-hmm. <laughs> to authority and society and you know whatnot and and. I think like embracing that, you know, whether or not it is or isn't the right way to go, like kind of embracing that makes you think twice about 
everything that you encounter, you know? I think maybe even one step further, it just makes you think. Like, you know, I I remember as a teenager, well, at least I think I do. (laughs) It's been a long time. But I think I remember as a teenager, um, you know, not not all the time thinking about everything that I was doing. There was only certain times where I'd come to something and go, hmm, you know, I'd contemplate like uh-huh. maybe the cost or like what this really is. And um, obviously it's not until, you know, way older that I really now sit back and think think about things, you know, the the ramifications of things or, you know, especially when it comes to authority or right. uh, government or whatever, but... Well, so at what point then, um, so you, after you, you started skating and stuff, at what point um, did you think to yourself, you know, I, I like motorcycles? I mean, was that something that came in way later? Or? So I got a dirt bike when I was seven years old. Okay. Uh, it was a P- Yamaha PW80. Um, if I remember the story right, my mom, I think, was out of town. Mm-hmm. and my dad picked me up from school and I was like whoa like I just skateboard to school every day or whatever yeah <laughs> and my dad came to pick me up and I'm like oh like this is weird like why are you here kind of thing, <laughs> you know? and so he he had brought me home and then we were like he was like hey do you want to go to the Yamaha dealership with me and uh and my dad he had like he had some street bikes like he had a um he had a yamaha fj 1200 mm-hmm. uh street bike you know it was red white and blue and me and my brother would go in the garage and just sit on that thing and i i'm surprised we didn't knock it over you know but <laughs> <laughs> my dad was at work we'd just sit on that and be like yeah yeah you know <laughs> um so he, he so yeah, my dad was like, Oh, like I'm gonna go to the motorcycle dealer, do you wanna go? And so I was like, Sure, like I got nothing better to do. So we go to the dealership and we're just like kinda looking around at motorcycles and of course I go over to the over to the mini bikes and I'm just like eyes glossed over thinking yeah. about this thing, you know. And then my dad was like, Hey, like I've been thinking about getting uh you and your brother a motorcycle. And all of a I just lose it. I'm like, yeah. yes, this is insane. Like, uh, I don't even, like, I don't know if I'm getting good grades or anything. Like, I don't know <laughs> if it matters, you know? Um, which also at the same time, I did have like a bunch of problems in school. Sure. So, sure. <laughs> so, You're like, I hope he doesn't put any stipulations on this. That yeah, would suck. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so yeah, anyways, um, we start looking at him and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, let's get a fit. Like I want this PW 50. And he's like, well, you're, you and your brother are going to have to split it. So I think the 50 is going to be too small for your brother. Cause my brother's three years older than me. Okay. Um, and so he's like, I think it's going to be, the 50 is going to be too small. And so anyways, we end up, um, we end up getting this PW 80. It was fluorescent pink and white. Um, and I, I can't, I don't remember if we took it, if we got it that day or not, but I know we decided on it, but Mm -hmm. either way we got the PW 80 
And the PW80 was like a little bit too too big for me, and it was about perfect for my brother. Mm-hmm. But um, we took it home, and me and my dad somehow, the both of us, rode it around the block a couple times. And he sort of showed me like how to run the throttle on it or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it was an automatic, so it didn't have a clutch. But you just you know pull up up for the three gears or whatever, and yeah rode around the block a couple times and then he's just like okay it's all you and i look back and he's standing back on the road right. he just off the back and i'm like fuck like <laughs> <laughs> like throttling down the street like oh man and i i don't think i wrecked it surprisingly but i was pissed i was so scared like i'm sure i was ball i was a huge crybaby and so <laughs> sure i was crying you know well you're but, seven you know you, yeah. you said you're about seven years old yeah and uh it was pretty crazy but so we would so actually when we would go to those model airplane um races we would take they were always like up on the top of a hill and it was like real you know just some dirt hill or whatever and so we would take the bike and me and my brother would take turns riding it around um and i would usually fall over on it and crash and start crying and i i was too (laughs) small to pick it up so i'd have to just turn the gas off and leave it on its side and then walk back to my brother and have him come (laughs) pick it up for me or whatever um so yeah then we ended up selling that and uh yeah, we kind of, uh, my dad had kind of like a, um, he had a couple kind of nasty wrecks on his dirt bike. And so we, we just kind of got rid of them for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we're probably too young anyways, like, you know, seven year olds kind of young to be riding a dirt bike, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so yeah, we ended up getting dirt bikes again later like when i was in junior high and uh um and that was a lot more of a real experience you know like i really wanted a dirt bike at that point like i think i kind of realized like that i screwed up my first chance at riding dirt bikes like (laughs) i I didn't really like show my my dad that i like really wanted to ride you know yeah um and I think I, you know, I realized, I'm like, dude, you like riding a dirt bike is so awesome, you know? And I had gotten into BMX as well and, and was like really into BMX. And, um, so when we got dirt bikes, when I was in junior high, that was a totally different story. Like me and my brother rode our bikes every single day. Like we live kind of, uh, like, uh, close to this, um, riding area like the this fire break road that ran along the base of the mountain side mm-hmm. we could get there from our house um we couldn't ride the bikes on the street technically but it was like a few blocks away and so we would just do it anyways sure and i actually technicalities yeah I, well i almost didn't get my driver's license because of it because Oops. i got in a um minor police chase uh, <laughs> <laughs> and got busted um <laughs> sorry. so totally choking yeah. on my beer over here i'm sorry so yeah the dirt bikes the second time around was pretty rad and uh 
I, I took my, I was able to, um, you know, by this time I was pretty into wrenching on stuff. Um, uh, and I took my dirt bike all apart and like powder coated the frame and I polished the swing arm and, you know, like got the pipe chromed and stuff like that. Like Mm -hmm. just with, I had a paper route (laughs) and with the money from that, I would just put into like you know, oh, this, I think I made like $70 every two weeks or something yeah. doing paper out. And it was like, yes, like I can buy this, you know, like polishing compound for the swing arm or like <laughs> I can get this seat cover that I really wanted. And it wasn't like the cool, it wasn't like the cool, um, uh, like AXO seat cover or something. Yeah. It's like some crappy offshoot thing that like, almost looked cool enough yeah. but but um i was stoked to get it either way you know right. um and then uh all like simultaneously kind of while that was going on um uh i was doing the model car stuff and i was really into hot rods and low riders mm-hmm. like that's all i wanted to do was build like a 41 willies with you know, that was purple with flames on it or whatever. Like, sure. Um, and, uh, my brother was kind of getting into import cars a little bit. Um, and my dad had, uh, he was always into British cars. Um, and so anyways, I think I was about like 12 or 13 and my dad came home and was like, okay, like we're going to build a custom car Hmm. like as a family. And I was like, yes, willies or like a 34 Ford. Let's do it, you know? <laughs> and then everybody else is kind of like, well, I don't know. Like that, I, that's a pretty big project, you know? And I'm like, no way. Like I read about it in Hot Rod Magazine. Like all we got to do is, you know, bolt the motor together and put it in the frame or whatever. And we got it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My dad's like looking at it like yeah we don't have that kind of money like you know that's not gonna happen yeah so um here's an 82 pinto yeah exactly right <laughs> so so we so yeah we had kind of been talking about it for a while but you know a 12 year old kid doesn't have a whole lot to bring to the table sure. so really at the bottom of you know at the bottom line it was whatever car my dad wanted to do yeah like rightfully so you sure. know so anyways, one night he comes home uh, for dinner and we're all sitting there and he's like, hey, I found the car that we should build. And we're like, well, what is it? And obviously in my head, it's a 34 Ford, but right. um, that wasn't it. So I, <laughs> I was let down. So he's like, it, it's a dune buggy, like a Volkswagen dune buggy. Mm. And I'm like, you know, I, I'm like, dude, Volkswagen, like that's the shittiest car ever. Yeah, you know? Yeah. So he's like trying to explain it. I'm thinking sand rail mm-hmm. and he's thinking dune buggy, you know? So we, we finish dinner, get in the station wagon, drive down. And my dad, like just parks on the side of the road and, and we all get out. It's like, literally it's like me, my brother and my mom and my dad. And we're looking over this guy's fence, and there's just this, like, crappy car under this tarp. <laughs> and so we just, we climb over this guy's fence, and we're in his backyard. Wow. 
the whole family looking at this car and the dude comes out and he's like, whoa, like, what are you guys doing in my backyard? Like, I'm surprised you didn't try and shoot us. You I was going to say, this is Utah where like, you know, guns are pretty prevalent. You know, having a firearm is a necessity. Yeah, you can do that here, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyways, my dad's like, whoa, dude, chill out. Like, we're interested in buying this car. And then the guy's like, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so he like pulls the cover off and this thing, I, I was really into Ed Roth at the time, mm-hmm. like the road agent, you know, outside of a 34 Ford, the road agent was like the coolest car ever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably why I like to build all these weird looking motorcycles now, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I was huge into Ed Roth. Um, and, uh, so we pull the cover off and I'm like, whoa, this looks straight up like something that Ed Roth would have. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is just completely clapped out, like really crappy, super metal flake blue, which at the time was not cool. Like right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was cool, you know? Um, so anyways, we buy the thing for 300 bucks from the guy nice, and tow it home that night. Um, with the tow bar and the thing is just so gnarly. Like it, it just been under this cover forever. And there's just like dead birds and rats and stuff, <laughs> you know? Um, so anyways, long story short, the thing was, a um, 65, uh, Volkswagen dune buggy. Um, and the body on it was a body called a bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is rad like it, it's you know no offense to all the manx lovers out there but it's like <laughs> the most cool dune buggy ever because it has like molded in headlights and it has mustang tail lights and um like it's just like a dune buggy that's really super smoothed out yeah uh, so anyways over I think it probably took us maybe three or probably three or four years. We just rebuilt the thing. Um, mm-hmm. It was pretty cool. Like, um, <laughs> like Monday night family night was work on the car, you know? That's awesome. And like we went in the back, of, we pulled the body off and, and uh, took the floor pan and, propped it up in the back you know it was like a dirt parking lot in the back of my dad's shop and we went Mm -hmm. uh and rented a little sand blaster unit from the uh hardware store or whatever and blasted the floor pans and they're all rusted out so we had to weld in new floor you know like foot wells and you know found a clapped out motor that we cleaned up and you know put a way too big carburetor on it and (laughs) Um, and then, yeah, just kind of reworked the whole thing. Um, and my dad actually had one of the model makers that was at his shop was, um, this guy named Mike Rostell, mm-hmm. who was just this gnarly, like biker looking dude. And, uh, Mike used to work for Ed Roth, mm-hmm. uh, in back in the seventies building trikes for him. Mm-hmm. And so Mike, you know, on his lunch break and stuff would show me how to, I did most of the body work on it and he kind of like coached me through how to, you know, block out a car and whatnot. And uh, I always thought that was cool. Cause uh, you know, Ed Roth was my idol and, and, 
I actually I got to meet Ed Roth once at this at the Autorama. Awesome. I took there's like a model car contest and I took my my customized version of the road agent and the beatnik bandit mm-hmm. and it, you know, showed it to him and he signed the box for it or whatever. It was cool. I, I think I threw the <laughs> I threw the box away and with the signature on it. But, oh man. Uh, <laughs> it was more important that you got to meet him, I think, huh? Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Um so yeah, anyways, we, we built the buggy. Um and then uh after that my dad built a um RD three fifty like a little cafe racer. Um he had like when he was a kid he had had some street bikes, you know, like when he was a, a teenager or whatever. Um mm-hmm. he had had some street bikes and I think he had a RD uh, 400 back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so same kind of deal, you know, he came home one night with this crappy looking Yamaha and my uncle was really into choppers and, and, uh, he, um, you know, he's from the Bay area and in the eighties had like a pretty bitchin' shovel head and a iron head, you know, chopper mm-hmm. that ended up getting stolen or something. Um, so we would go to my uncle's house and, he always had a bunch of easy rider magazines there. And like, he's just a total biker, you know, Yeah, yeah. his kids, his, eventually his kid's name is Harley now, you know? <laughs> so like I, we'd go over there and I'd be like, damn, like, you know, looking through these easy rider magazines, like I'm sure that's probably where I first saw like, you know, my first naked girl's tit or something in a, you know, easy rider in my uncle's bathroom or something, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> So I always thought those were really cool, but then like my dad was into this whole other side of of kind of like the Japanese more racy stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was always just something about the choppers where I was just like, you know, that that's where I was kind of getting at earlier, where it's like my dad was into really cool stuff, but mm-hmm. I also kind of thought he was super nerdy. Sure. And sure. so I was like, oh, like, why'd you get this? Like, why don't you get some sort of chopper or like you know, some sort of like something with hydraulics on it. Like, why can't we get something that has hydraulics at our house? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyways, he got this RD and just, you know, it looked like crap and it, it had like this super thick seat and everything on it. And, uh, um, same thing, you know, just in our basement started taking it apart and cleaning the carbs in the, you know, kitchen sink or whatever. And then, uh, uh, next thing you know, it was like, wow, this thing's actually really cool. Like hmm. I, I just, I had no idea that you could make something that looked that stupid and that dorky turn hmm. out to be so cool, you right. know? Um, <clears throat> and, uh, so that was pretty cool. And, you know, by that time I had kind of started getting into cars and my older brother was into, um, water cooled Volkswagens, and he he um, would go autocross racing. He had like a Volkswagen GTI, and mm-hmm. um, he'd take me along with him to go race that, you know, um, like autocross race it. And so eventually, I ended up getting into um, import cars, and I kind of forgot about the hot rod stuff, you know. I mean, like the hot rod stuff when I was a kid was such a big part, you know, Mm -hmm. 
I remember like we took this trip to San Diego and and I don't know for some reason my mom was like asking me what I wanted to do when I grew up or something and and I was like I'm gonna move to San Diego and I'm gonna build hot rods like <laughs> yeah I'm gonna be like the best you know custom painter in in Southern California you know and then I got into import cars and just kind of like forgot about hot rods at all you know mm-hmm. and uh i got really into the import stuff i was into rx7s you know doing rotary stuff and yeah um got pretty heavy into that you know started i i blew the motor up on my car like five times Oof. and you know I, yeah i was trying to just do all this crazy frankenstein stuff you know it's like i blew it <laughs> up and then took it apart and like Try, you know, took a diagram, like read on some crappy internet forum how to port it, and and took a grinder to it and started porting it, and then like just built this Frankenstein turbo setup for it, and which ended up, you know, consequently blowing the motor up a bunch of times, and <laughs> it was fun. I mean, it was cool. Like it, it was depressing. So like, you know, putting every single dime that you've got as a you know 17 18 year old kid into the car and then firing it up and blowing the motor up like no more than 15 minutes later you know oh man <laughs> heartbreaking yeah <laughs> i i once again i was always you know a huge crybaby i remember blowing it up once and just like being just sitting there like right on the verge of tears just being sure. like dude i just put every cent into this thing and it just exploded. Like <laughs> I cannot believe that this just happened, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, anyways, <clears throat> got pretty heavy into that. I, I went to, um, I went to a couple, let's see. So I got held back in first grade and then I ended up graduating high school a year early and, and mm-hmm. going to the community college. So I kind of caught myself back. Um, and, uh, and then I went to, um, a semester at Utah state university and just realized, I was like, this isn't really for me. Like, I, I think I'm, (laughs) I think I just want to build crazy cars and stuff, you know? Right. Um, so I ended up going to, I found this school in Sonoma, um, you know, just outside of San Francisco, um, at Sears Point Raceway. It it was a race car mechanic school, Mm -hmm. uh, doing like open wheeled formula style race cars. Mm -hmm. So I ended up doing that and, you know, I actually got into that a lot and, you know, didn't feel like a complete failure at school at that (laughs) point. (laughs) Right. Um, there's a difference, right? When you're younger and you go to school and, um, I think we talked about this the other day on the phone where when you're younger, you just don't care or you're not engaged. But then when you're older, like you actually are kind of invested. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and just the fact of like actually wanting to go there, you know, Mm -hmm. like when you're like, when you're going to, you know, the university or whatever, just because that's what you're supposed to do when you graduate high school or whatever, you know, right. there's just not much there. And then when you actually figure out like, okay, like I, I go voluntarily 
to the shop every single day and work on my car and blow every cent that I've got on my car and I can go to school for that, then that's pretty cool, you know? Right, right. Um, so I lucked out there. Um, I mean, I had already kind of, at that point, I had already kind of been fabricating a lot of stuff, you know? Um, mm. Like we had a... Um, we had a TIG welder and, and, um, I, you know, I taught myself how to TIG weld and had, you know, been making shift knobs and stuff on the lathe, um, at my dad's shop. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, that, that's another thing that I sort of sidestepped up to. Um, my dad started building an airplane in our basement of our house, Wow! like, like a full size airplane. <laughs> um, and so that was kind of like a, I don't know, that was kind of like a Johnny Cash song or something, you know, yeah. it was whenever you had like, like a little extra money, it's just like choppers, you know, mm -hmm. it's like whenever you get like a little extra money, you know, you'd buy like some wing skin or whatever, you know, and mm -hmm. you know, it I think it took him like 10 years or something to build the airplane, you know, but, um, but so yeah, that kind of necessitated, you know, like watching a lot of fabrication go on and and seeing kind of how all that's working you know right um and uh so yeah anyways i i go to school and luckily i had a pretty good amount of fabrication skills at the time um and one of my teachers at school was cool enough to like recognize that i had done a lot of fabrication and so like right i think it was like a couple weeks into school he took me down um at the rate like just um in the pits of the racetrack at, at um serious point there's a whole bunch of garages where there's um a bunch of small race related businesses going on mm -hmm. and so he took me down um to this place called ian gordon racing fabrication mm -hmm. um that specialized in vintage formula one cars and and so they did that and they were just kind of like a general fab shop, um, for race related stuff. Uh -huh. Um, and so anyways, my teacher took me down there and basically, you know, walked me in the door and said, Hey, like this kid is, you know, decent at fabrication. And so if you guys need somebody to sweep the shop, you know, here's your guy. Wow. So that was awesome. Like I, that, that was like a life changer right there, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, I, I, they gave me, you know, like a little apprenticeship, um, that I ended up doing for the year that I was at school. Um, and so, yeah, I would go to school, um, in the morning, we'd start at like seven thirty, and then school would go till five, five thirty or six. And then I would go down to the fab shop, um, like kind of right about when they're closing and they would just sh tell me what they needed cleaned up. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they would just, they'd, you know, be there for maybe like a half an hour or an hour and then they'd just leave. Um, and just have, I would just stay there and clean, you know? Wow. Um, and so, yeah, I was like probably the first, it was probably the first three or four months. All I did was just sweep. Yeah. Um, and then after that, they like let me mop and then I'd, you know, clean the chips out of the machines and, you know, progressively, like very slowly that, you know, I showed them that I wasn't a complete idiot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they would like, you let me bite off a little bit more, you know, every couple of weeks and, and, uh, 
um, by the end of the year, you know, they uh, would let me weld stuff and machine and whatnot. I mean, I, I knew like far more about fabrication than they allowed me to use those skills. Right. But I think it was like really, I think it was a really humbling experience and it was a really important experience that I'm glad that I went through as far as like just having the formal apprenticeship process, you know, like, you know how to TIG, you know, you know how to machine, you know, you know how to use the lathe, blah, blah, blah. But can you do something on time accurately, you know, as simple as pushing a broom, like, it's crazy how many people actually don't know how to do that. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> or, you know, they get it in their head like, well, I know how to do this. Like, I'm kind of above, like, sweeping. Yeah, so I'm I deserve, not a janitor. Yeah, so I deserve to to do this, yeah. you know. So that was really cool. And just being able to sit back and watch how these dudes worked, you know. I mean, yeah. like, my boss, my, um, my boss there, Ian – he he's an older guy he actually passed away a few years ago um and uh um so he was like one of the original um fabricators of uh lotus race cars like um so well so i i guess i shouldn't say the original but he in the 60s you know when lotus was like really crushing it he was one of their head fabricators um for their formula one team and uh so it was just so killer to be able to watch these guys work and just see like true masters you know i mean like one day i went in there and 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 all of his stuff was manual nothing was cnc and the dude is machining his own carburetor wow yeah and i'm like dude what are you doing and he's like he's like well i can't get my he had this cooper 500 uh little um, formula race car that it was like his personal project that you mm-hmm. just mess around with. And he's like, man, I just can't get it to run very good with this carb. I can't remember what was on it, like an Amel or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, couldn't get it to run very good. So he just decided to machine his own carb. Wow. And, and I'm like, man, how do you know, like <laughs> how do you know what you're doing, you know? And he's like, oh, I, I, I just know, like, I just, I've done this before, you know? Mm-hmm. And sure enough, whittled this carburetor out and the thing ran like a top, you know? I mean, That's it's awesome. just like a madman. Um, so that was really cool. I mean, like that was something that not very many people get to do. And I, sort of fumbled my way into it and it was like really cool you know yeah um and just seeing how those guys work you know like on on a precision level you know i mean like i don't know getting chewed out for having your hands in your pockets and you know (laughs) (laughs) like not uh, you know it's just like they're used to working on like really high end stuff. You know, I mean like some of the cars in our shop were, you know, millions of dollars and, and it's like, you don't, it it was just great to learn stuff, you know, the right way. Yeah. Like the upper echelon teams are doing it this way. So you're going to do it this way in our shop, you know? Um, so I'm really stoked that I got to 
have that experience, you know? That's something you, you know, you take with you into the future. It's not, you know, it's not just something I'm sure that, that fell off when you left the shop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, yeah, I mean, now, like I, I always notice myself standing there and I never put my hands in my pockets really. Mm -hmm. I always put them behind my back or, or something, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, that's from that conversation <laughs> in the shop when, <laughs> you know, that's when I awesome. got out for slouching over and having my hands in my pockets, you know, yeah. <laughs> or grease on your face, you know, that's unacceptable. Like, don't look like, like a slob, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I try and remember that stuff as much as possible. Um, that's probably not very chopper, <laughs> <laughs> but, but whatever. Yeah. I think it just depends. I think there's, there's the subculture of, uh, you know, I'm always dirty, greasy, uh, you know, chopper guy. And then there's guys who clean up and, you know, have to go to their job and the, during the day. Yeah. I think, you know, it doesn't, it's not, that's not what separates, uh, people. I think it's what binds people is their love for, for the two wheels or for, you know, mechanical things. And yeah, for sure. So, it, so it, it, um, I want to, I want to kind of move into from your experience fabricating and really getting your, your feet wet and, um, past school working with, um, with Ian and, and his group. And then, um, at some point you, you came back or returned to Salt Lake. Well, so after, after I graduated school, um, I, I ended up, I kind of screwed myself a little bit. Like Ian wanted me to work there full time, but I kind of wanted to like get out there and like work for a race team, you know, or, mm -hmm. or something like that. And, um, so anyways, like as school was wrapping up, I ended up finding a job um, down in Huntington Beach mm -hmm. at this place called Five Axis Modeling. They they build like prototype cars and stuff. So I like try. I got a job there, and then that ended up falling through at the last minute. And so it was like I told Ian that I got this other job, but then the job fell through. But Ian got another guy so i was kind of like oh shit like i <laughs> don't really <laughs> now i'm just stuck you know yeah so one of my schoolmates um he got a job working for a american lamont team um that was based in escondido mm -hmm. uh, and so he was like hey just come down here like there's tons of uh there's tons of car stuff going on like you know we can find you a job for sure. Just get down here and, and we'll find you something, you know? So, um, I went down there and the day I got down there, I ended up meeting him for lunch and the crew chief of his, of the race team was there. And, uh, um, and he had lived around there for a long time and stuff. So I started talking to him and he's like, well, there's this, uh, you know, I wanted to do fabrication. And, mm -hmm. and so he's like, well, there's a hot rod shop, like just around the corner. You can check them out. It's like right by where you're living, you know? Mm -hmm. So I went in there and I hadn't thought about hot rods in, you know, 10 years or whatever. <laughs> um, and so, I, I go into this shop and I got my resume and I go in and I drop my 
resume off and I end up talking to the owner and I was kind of cocky, you know, like I kind of had a bad attitude and was just like, you know, in my head, I was like, I just need to find a job like that can float my boat until I can find like the real dream job that I want, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I talked to him and he's like, okay, like we're actually kind of looking for a fabricator. And so if you go, uh, like go out in the shop and do a welding, like a welding test, like do a butt joint and a lap joint and a T joint and TIG mm-hmm. weld it and then bring it back in, you know, mm-hmm. so I go out there. I haven't welded in, <laughs> in like months at this point, I feel like, um, and, uh, so I, I do, a you know, all those joints, I'm like sweating it, like right. super stressed, you know? Like I just used, you know, like only Lincoln machines and all they have is Miller's and like, you know, just like I'm looking at like a square wave 350 or something with like 7 million knobs and I'm like, not so cocky now, huh? This is, (laughs) this is pretty intense. So I do the joints. I don't feel that great about them. I go back in and, and he checks them out. He's like, Oh yeah, these look great. These are like better than I could do. So (laughs) Um, so anyways, I, I kind of like, was just looking back on it. It was like, I was just too cocky, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he asked me how much I wanted to make and I told him like some outlandish number and, you know, whatever. I, I just been working on Ferraris, you know, so <laughs> did he... stupid, stupid Chevys or whatever, you know, did he bring you back down to earth though with your salary? Yeah, well, he's, yeah. <laughs> well, he was like, okay, like, I'll pay you X amount of dollars, and then in, like, 30 days, we'll we'll see how you're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, anyways, he hires me there, and, and I start the next day, and that was, like, the biggest eye-opener ever. <laughs> like... I started, I started working and he had, uh, he had me welding in these panels that like sink in some 50 Pontiac taillights into the back of a 32 Ford. Okay. Um, and you know, he's like, Oh yeah. Like, have you welded sheet metal? And I'm like, yeah, I've welded sheet metal. Like really, I just welded like butt welded little scraps of sheet metal. Mm Uh, so I warped this thing so bad. Like I cut them in, got them in there, started welding them. And I just, I had never like welded on a panel before, you know, mm-hmm. like I'd welded, you know, racing a arms together, but you can't warp an a arm. Like you can a piece of 18 gauge sheet metal, you know? Right. Right. So, so yeah, pretty quickly I realized I'm like, wow, you do not know what you're doing. Like, <laughs> You just screwed up. That was the trick, too, is it was like you couldn't get a dolly behind this thing. So if you warped it, it was, like, gnarly to get back in there and fix it. Wow. Um, so I just warped the shit out of this thing. It looked terrible. <laughs> I I just felt like such a dick because I had, like, you know, totally had to, like, walk away with my tail between my legs. And this old old guy named Scott, you know, rescued me thankfully like <laughs> realized that i did not know what i was doing like and stopped me and was like let me show you what's going on like you need to do it this way and and 
I, once again, I think that was one of the best things that ever could have happened to me is screwing up those taillights, you know? Hmm. Um, and so anyways, I, I ended up working there for a while and it was like, I think like a week after I took the job, the like dream job called me up and was like, Hey, like we're ready to hire you now, you know? Mm-hmm. And at that point I was like, I had realized, I was like, wow, like I'm learning so much every day here. Like I should probably stick around here, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, oh, that was the other thing too, is that, um, the shop that I went into was just like the small little office shop. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that I basically got hired on at like the biggest hot rod shop in the entire country. Wow! wow. <laughs> it was just that down the road was their 20,000 square foot, you know, facility. And, and, you know, it was pretty crazy. Like I had no idea what I had walked into, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, anyways, um, I worked there for a while and then I just, honestly, I was bored one night and I kind of missed my friends in Salt Lake and, and, uh, was just like, screw it. I'm just going to put out a feeler back home at some hot rod shops and see if I could get a job at home, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I did that next day, a guy calls me up. And I, like basically, you know, talk on the phone for a little bit. I'm blown away. Like I just assumed that I was going to put it out there and whatever. Like probably nobody would call me, you know. <laughs> and the guy called me back. Yeah, like the next day and, and was like, hey, do you know how to weld aluminum? I was like, yeah, I've done a bunch of aluminum. And so they had this crazy project. It was like a 37 Hudson that was coach built um, mm-hmm. for the emperor of China. Wow. And so they're doing like this restoration on it and they didn't really have like somebody that could weld those kind of panels and build those kind of panels. Cause by this time I had done a bunch of, you know, panel shaping and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, I just, you know, was like, Hey, like if you pay me more than I'm making here and you pay for me to move home, then I'll do it. He's like, okay, cool. Right on. And I- once again, I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh, I, that was like kind of pie in the sky. Like, cause a Utah wage versus a California wage is a big difference, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah. Anyways, like a few weeks later I moved home and that was not cool. Like <laughs> I got there and their shop sucked. Like their shop didn't have any tools. Everybody hated each other. Uh the car was crap like they didn't take any pictures of it before they started disassembling it oh man it's like so gnarly they didn't even have like a vice you know it was crazy um and uh so like two two months in or like a month and a half in they go (laughs) they go out of business oh (laughs) i'm just like oh my god like what did i do um (laughs) So then I end up, so then my boss from Escondido, he knows everybody in the hot rod world. So he somehow, I think from one of my friends that still worked at the shop, heard that I was getting screwed over. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he called this other shop in, in Salt Lake and was like, hey, you guys should hire this kid. Um, so that guy called me that's that day and I went and had an interview with him and uh, – 
moved my toolbox there the next day. Wow. <laughs> Started working there. And that was like the other end of the spectrum. That mm-hmm. was like super nice shop, rad projects, and the most insane bosses on planet Earth. It was like four people total. Mm-hmm. It, it was like the, the owner, his wife, and then this guy named Chris who was like, maybe I think he was like 10 years older than I was and then me and that was it and Chris was my apprentice which that was weird like (laughs) he's older than you yeah having a guy that's 10 years older than me like as my apprentice you know Mm -hmm. which that was kind of awkward um and uh but he was cool you know he he uh, didn't cause any problems between the two of us but i just it was weird for me you know um so yeah anyways we were i worked there for a while and it was just like not cool at all it was like not a fun environment at all all. it kind of sucked um and so i i had been sort of socking away money because i was i could just tell i was getting burnt out on it Mm -hmm. like just i every place I went, I just wasn't stoked on it and everything was kind of just not fun. Uh, So I'd been, you know, socking away some money for a little bit and I ended up buying a, uh, uh, Suzuki, a 1979 Suzuki GS 850. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Oh, that was the other thing in, when I was in, before I moved to California to go to school, I had started building an RD, RD350. Because uh-huh. uh, my dad had a whole bunch of extra parts from the bike that he had built. <laughs> and uh, so I just sort of started like cobbling together this, you know, rat bike kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I moved to Escondido, I brought it out um, and me and my buddy Jason, we were building um, our bikes in his little like one car garage at, <laughs> at his apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was building a sportster chopper and then, and then I was building my RD 350 and we were like trading off um, plugging the soldering iron into the um, garage door opener. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's like, okay, I need to solder this wire. So I'll plug this, you know, into the garage door opener and solder my wire. And then, like, you can plug your, you know, uh, grinder or whatever. Yeah, drop light into it (laughs) and see what you're doing or whatever, you know? It was crazy. Like, looking back on it, thinking about that, it was just, it was pretty nuts that we did that, especially because during the day we're working at like this super nice hot rod shop, you know? Right. We just wanted like something to ride, you know, like we just wanted something to do that was our own, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that's so that's where I started building my first bike. And then when I got home and went through all that, I um, the RD was rad, but it was like I I put like these gnarly pipes on it and this like single carb conversion and it like you could jam around town on it, but you weren't going to take it on a trip, you know? Um, so I ended up buying this GS eight fifty. It had like a huge wind jammer and a big sissy bar and stuff on it. Uh Um, I, I paid 1200 bucks for it and, um, I quit the hot rod shop and just decided to ride it around for a summer. Wow. 
Um, so I, uh, yeah, I spent three months riding it all over the country. Um, and just, I just wanted to check it out, you know, like I just wanted to see like what, like what everywhere else was like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool. Like I slept in a lot of Walmart parking lots and (laughs) (laughs) thank God for Walmart. (laughs) Yeah. Slept in, uh, you know, the gutter once, which is weird and hung out with a bunch of homeless people in Austin. That was crazy. Yeah. Um, and just, yeah, just had fun. Like went to the beach and went to New York and yeah, just kind of rode all over the place for the summer, you know? Did it change your perspective on life at all? Yeah, for sure. It was crazy. Like just seeing how big the country is and, and just seeing like the just seeing what life is like between um you know like just in the middle of the country you know mm-hmm. it's like california on one side new york on the other side there's a lot of space in between and there's a lot of stuff to see you know i mean it's like crazy to see the just how i don't know it seemed like everything was really similar mhm and like just so different at the same time you know it's like you like one week i'm in new york in brooklyn or queens or whatever you know and then the next like a few days later you've just been jamming on i-80 for a few days and you're in like south dakota and there's nothing there you know and it's it's pretty crazy to see all that and be able to check that out you know It, it was really cool to see how friendly everyone was you know like I met these people that would just like bend over backwards and it's like, dude, you don't even know me. Like, like you're, you're going to bend over backwards for some dude that just rolled up on a bike. And it's not like I was on a chopper. Like it wasn't like I was on something that people actually cared about. You know, like if somebody rolls up on a chopper and you're a chopper guy, like it's like when you see a guy with holes on the side of his shoes and you know that he's actually skateboards, you know? Yeah. It's like, I'm just driving some crappy Suzuki, you know, like with a skateboard strapped on the back or whatever. Like it was crazy to see how friendly people really were, you know? Yeah. That was, that was my experience too, traveling around. Um, you know, I never made it in the, uh, the, uh, Dakotas actually I slept in a parking lot, uh, in South Dakota somewhere, but just traveling around, you know, the people were so, um, and this is going to sound really stereotypical maybe or stereotyping people, but like you said, between California and New York, everybody in between seemed like they actually cared and would go out of their way. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I didn't really get into New York City, uh, uh-huh. but uh, spent a little time in Buffalo and went over to Canada and came back, you know, over Niagara. But yeah, um, but yeah it's just I noticed that same thing. People are really, um, they, they'll bend over backwards to do stuff for you and they don't even know you. Yeah, it was crazy. I um when I was in Texas, I was in uh <coughs> let's see, I was in Corpus Christi and <laughs> I I scoped out this really cool I don't I don't know if you felt this or not, but I noticed that every time I'd ride like I'd ride all day and then get into town when it was dark and be like, damn it, like I don't know where I'm gonna sleep. Yeah. Like, 
<laughs> like it's hard to find somewhere to sleep when it's dark, you know? So I got into Corpus Christi pretty early and I like scoped out this rad spot to sleep. Like it was on the side of this building. Like they had this huge tree mm-hmm. that, that like touched the ground. And so it made like this little cubby hole thing behind it that I could sleep in. Nice. And I was so pumped on it. And I was like, okay, cool. Lock that down, like, before it got dark. And then I went and ate some dinner. And then I went back to go, oh, actually, after dinner, I went to the Super 8 motel and jumped over the fence and went swimming (laughs) until the guy caught me and chased me out. But, uh, (laughs) But so then I went to go back to my spot. Bum, beat me to it. Dude. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I was intruding on his spot, you know? Right. Um, so I was like, screw it. I'll, I'm just going to go try and sleep on the beach. So um, I went to the beach, which was right by the skate park. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just laid down on the beach. Like, I, I had a sleeping bag, so I slept in that. And then, like, sun started to come up in the morning, and this cop is poking me with his stick. <laughs> hey you can't be sleeping on the beach man uh so i just i i was like up at the crack of dawn and i was like well i'm at the skate park i'll just skate for a little while so i, I was skating and some girl was there and and she started she like saw my motorcycle and saw the utah plate you know and so she started talking to me and uh um so i <laughs> i have a I have a map of the United States tattooed on my chest mm-hmm. uh, and I get it filled in everywhere that I go. That's rad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I was talking to her and she was like, Oh yeah, like I'm, I'm getting tattooed today or something. And I was like, Oh cool. Like I actually need to get some, I need to get Texas filled in on my chest. <laughs> and, uh, and so she's like, well, I'm literally going there in like 15 minutes. You, you can follow me down there if you want. So I go down, so I go to the tattoo shop with her and talk to this dude and, and he's like, Hey, like I'm into bikes too. Like, that's cool that you're on this trip. Like, (laughs) like that's rad, you know? So we start talking and he takes me into the back room and he, at at the tattoo shop, he's building this little triumph chopper. Awesome. And I'm like, dude, that's so cool. You know? Um, and so anyways, he tattoos my chest and while while uh, he's tattooing me, he's like, "Dude, you gotta meet this guy named Jeremy that works at this place called Dynamo Cycles." And so I'm like, "Okay," but he keeps telling me he's like passionate about this. He's like, "You gotta mm-hmm. meet Jeremy," you know. I'm like, "Okay, like this is crazy, <laughs> but whatever." So I the next day I didn't really have anything to do, so. Or no, later that day I didn't have anything to do, so I left the tattoo shop and and I went to Dynamo Cycles, and I, like based off the name, I'm thinking it's like some chopper shop, you know? Right. And I get there and it's like this place that just sells like uh, I don't know, like reflective jackets and and like uh, dirt bike boots and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I go there and they're like almost closed. And I'm like, I'm supposed to ask for this guy named Jeremy that works here. I don't really know why I'm here, but I'm supposed <laughs> to ask for Jeremy, you know? Mm-hmm. And this guy's like, oh, Jeremy's my son. Uh, 
he's not here right now. He's actually riding home from Utah <laughs> because him and his wife rode their motorcycles to Utah to go to the AMA Superbike race. <laughs> so I'm like, this is so weird. Yeah. Like, I don't know <laughs> what is going on here. But then the guys all, oh, are you are you friends with Lucas? And I was like, yeah, he just tattooed me. And uh, they're like, oh, okay. He called and he told us that you're coming here. And <laughs> you're supposed to wait for Jeremy. And Jeremy's almost back from his trip to Utah. So he'll be here in like 10 minutes. But we're closed. So you're, you can just hang out inside until he gets here. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is weird, but whatever. I'll do it, you know? So anyways, the dude rolls up and just starts talking to me. I guess Lucas had called him and told him that I was going to show up. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, he's like, hey, me and my wife want to um, take you to dinner. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so we go to this Mexican restaurant and we just start like talking about motorcycles. And, and this guy ends up that he has this. He's like, I don't know, he's probably like eight years older than I am, 10 years older than I am. But um, he has this cool motorcycle collection mm-hmm. um, that he's kind of building up. You know, he's got like a Royal Enfield and some Triumphs and mm. some older Harley stuff. And so he's telling me all about this. And then he's like, you know, they end up paying for my dinner, which was way cool. Um, and then he's like, Hey, if you want to come check out the bikes, you're more than welcome to. And like, you can crash at our house if you want. Like we got, we got a guest bedroom, you know? And I'm like, okay. Like he seemed cool at this point. His wife was there. She was cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just like, man, like you guys don't even know me. And you're like willing to put me up in your house, you know? Show me that you have all these probably, you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of bikes and yeah it's crazy so we go to his house and i'm just like nerding out like there's so much cool stuff in in this dude's little shop and um so yeah anyways then i uh get going to the guest bedroom and and like i'm sitting there you know kind of brushing my teeth or whatever and he has this big rack of cds on the wall and i start looking at it and i'm like there's like snap case and earth crisis Hmm. and bloodlet, you know? And I'm like, Whoa, like this is so crazy. Like how is this guy into like the exact same bands that I like? And he's into bikes and, you know, it was just like, how did this happen? Yeah. How how did these stars align? You know? (laughs) Right. It was so crazy, but there was like so many stories like that, you know? And then it was crazy the other day, uh, that guy Lucas who tattooed my chest ended up adding me on Instagram, hmm. but he didn't know like who I was or anything. And, but I recognize the name. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so then I went on his thing and I'm like, Hey, like I'm the guy that you tattooed the Texas thing on his chest. <laughs> and he was so, he was like pumped on it. He's like, yeah, I remember that. Like for sure. You know, that's right. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, tattooing Texas, it was like, Hey, you got to go meet this guy, Jeremy. And yeah, it was crazy. That's like, awesome. but I mean, that guy could have just tattooed me and I could have left, you know, like yeah. never would have, it, it never would have been any, I I never would have known any difference, you know, like, right. but now it's just crazy, you know? Well, he had to go out of his way to, uh, to tell you about Jeremy. Yeah. You know, I mean that, 
it's it's it shows a uh, a little speck of light into a bigger picture of like you know reaching out um and you you felt that from traveling around the country but like when when people reach out to you it's weird it's like not to get all hippie and weird because i'm definitely not a hippie but um it's interesting how when when people reach out to one another dynamics change you know it changes people like even just a smile you know can change uh can change someone's uh day or you know that moment or whatever it's it's kind of a trip but yeah it's crazy well, i always i always think about like like the other night i was driving home and it's super cold out you know snowing and like when you see that car on the side of the road and yeah, i'm like yeah. driving down the street and i'm see them like with their hazards on the side of the road because my dad would always do this when i was a kid like he'd always pull over and help somebody out you know yeah and i always try and do it if i can but it's like the worst feeling when you're like driving down the street and you see that person and you're like i have to do this but do i have to do that like would it be more important if i pulled over and stopped and helped that guy or should i just stick with my plan and just get, like go and do my thing that i have to do you know right right just drive past and you're like oh man i'm such a dick like <laughs> like that guy probably need like that guy probably is going to have to walk like 2 miles to the gas station you know like <laughs> yeah but i always do that and i'm just like oh man but every like if, every now and then i'll uh I'll be like, okay, like you don't have anything to do, so you better like pull over and help that dude out, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's it, it see, comes, like, how it works, you know? It comes back to you. I, I swear it does. I mean, you know, call it karma, call it uh, living by the sword, dying by the sword, whatever you want to call it. It it comes around. Like I've done that where I've stopped and helped people, different situations, different states, whatever, and totally had things come back to where, you know, someone helped me out when I needed something. So yeah, for sure. Well, tell us, because um, I really want to get to um, where um, where you really started thinking about opening your own shop. Um, so kind of fast forward us to... Yeah, so pretty much after that trip, I, I basically came back and, I mean, there's some other details in there that aren't very exciting, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I basically came back and... Um, I was working at my, uh, my parents had sold their shop by this point, mm -hmm. but I was working for, uh, the new owner at, mm -hmm. at my parents' old shop that I'd, I'd, you know, grown up working at. And I worked there for like a year and just me and the new owner just weren't jiving. Like it yeah. just wasn't working. And I, I started Pangea at night. Like I just, I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. Like, I, I just started looking at like 4Q and Church of Choppers and like I just started looking at all these blogs and kind of like Jason was mm -hmm. saying in his like I just wanted to do something like I just thought it was cool that everybody had their like little thing that they were doing and I was like I want to do something you know yeah so I just started making these I just like would draw t-shirts and make t-shirts and sell them on my website mainly I just send them to people I'd just be like here like Here's a shirt, you know, like maybe you'll wear it or maybe you won't, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And I always liked doing that kind of stuff. Like I always thought it was fun to make up like these little companies, you know, that you can dream about or whatever. Um, yeah. And, uh, and it was an excuse to like fabricate stuff and machine stuff and like 
figure out how to make little widgets, you know? Um, so it started like taking off a little bit and I was just doing it at night and then I got fired from, <laughs> oh, no. from my parents' old shop, you know, it's like, how did, how in, how stupid is that? The you know? new boss beat you to quitting, huh? Yeah, for sure. Oh. Uh, yeah, that, that was a pretty insane, you know, day or whatever, but, uh, so basically I started my shop the exact same way that my dad started his shop. Hmm. You know, like he started his shop because he got fired from his job and he had a little bit of money in the bank. And my mom basically said, look, like, you know, he came home and was like, Hey, I want to try and start my own shop. I just got fired. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she was like, okay, well you got like two grand in the bank. So, if you can, you know, in 30 days, like at the end of the month, if, if you can still have that two grand in the bank, like mm -hmm. make your money back kind of deal, you know, then you can keep doing it. And, uh, so he ended up pulling that off, you know? Um, and that was kind of the same deal for me. It was like, I had a little bit of money in the bank and got fired and was like, screw it. I'll try it. Like, I'll just try it out. You know, like, uh, it probably won't last, but <laughs> now like almost, I guess it's, I, I ran it for like maybe half a year, you know, at night. And then I think it's been like four years now that I've been doing it full time. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, I mean, every day I'm like, like, Oh, it's still working. Like yeah. <laughs> somehow I don't have a regular job and somehow I'm pulling this off. Like, <laughs> Am I eating top ramen? Yes, but <laughs> whatever. At least I don't have a boss, you know. What um, if if you had to say um, what your biggest um, clientele is? Is it is it motorcycle parts that you fabricate, or is it more like custom jobs that people bring to you to fabricate, you know, special parts and stuff? A little bit of both, you know. Like right now, it it's. I probably make more on the parts than I do on the customer stuff because I, I screw it up every time, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, it, it's like, it, you know, you never make any money on the custom stuff. It seems like as yeah. much as I try and budget it in and like, you know, every project I go and I'm like, dude, I'm going to crush it this time. Like I, I quoted more than last time, so I'll, I won't totally lose this time. <laughs> And then I'm like, well, I guess I got a little bit more money in the budget so we can get these cooler, you know, like handlebars or like we can spend more on the seat or, you know, yeah. it's like whatever. But I'm trying to just do parts, honestly. Like, uh, um, you know, I'm trying to just maybe build myself a bike here and there mm -hmm. and just focus on the, the on the parts, mainly handlebars. Um but uh, that's the goal, you know, is to just uh, only be surviving off the parts. Um, and hopefully I can do that sooner than later. Well, you do have, um, from what I saw on, on Instagram, I don't, I, I don't know a lot about it other than you have yeah. your, um, your beta testing going on for, oh, yeah. for a certain air cleaner. Yeah. And that, that was like, so I had a whole bunch of parts for a while that I was doing mm -hmm. and I just couldn't, honestly, I just couldn't afford to keep all of them. Like 
stocked the way that they needed to be. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I started working on that air cleaner like last year. Mm-hmm. And I started building the pattern, like the casting pattern for it. And I was like, yeah, I want to I want to do an air filter that's a little bigger than like, a, you know, I liked the SNS, you know, little mushroom cover for like a velocity stack, but I thought it was kind of too small, like the little donut looking thing. Yeah. Um, I thought it looked a little bit small. And then, um, and then the, on the other end of the spectrum is the teardrop, which is just way too big. You know, it's like hanging out there on your knee and everything. And so I kind of wanted to do something that was like bigger than the, you know, mushroom and bigger than the like BCM cleaners, mm-hmm. but not like not massive, like all the other options. So I started working on that and then I like had to do a little reset, like, okay, like you can't afford to keep all this stuff in stock at all times. So just go and just do handlebars. Like you can do that. Like that's how you make most of your money. Like just do bars and be like the bar guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I've just been sitting there looking at this like 80% done casting pattern sitting in the <laughs> shop, just glaring at me for the last year. Cause I haven't done anything with it. Yeah. And so the other day I was just like, screw it. I'm just, it doesn't make sense. Like I can't afford to do it, but like I have to finish this pattern cause it's sitting here and I like, I want one of these for my bike. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> then I just, you know, start, I'm like, okay, well, if you're going to do it, then you might as well like figure out if the thing works and figure out if, if it's any good, you know, like, and and then just decided that I should let some other people test it out and tell me how it's going to work, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know the guy's name on Instagram, but uh, it was he was pulling a wheelie. He had a couple of videos up. And oh, Brenton, yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, it seems like it's working out pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah it seems like it. I kind of thought that the air cleaner, like the, the, the filter element itself might be a little bit too restrictive, mm-hmm. but he says that it seems to be working good. And then, um, Marco from mock modified, uh, is gonna, he's going to dyno test one on his FXR. So right on. he's got a stock, uh, air cleaner on it right now. So he's going to do a pull with that and then he's going to put mine on and, and see what the damage is, you know, are they, um, I forget. Are they only for SNS carbs? Uh, uh, SNS and CVs. CVs. Okay. And this and the CV bolt pattern will work on like a Sportster uh, fuel injection setup. So. Do you know? Will it work on uh, on the newer uh, fuel injected like the twin cams? I think if it's if it's the same throttle body as a sporty, like I know the night it'll work on a nightster. I okay. Know that, so. It's yeah, probably the same. I, I just think, haven't pulled it off and seen, you know. Yeah, I think the, I think uh, Nightster is an eighty-eight B. So, I I think I'm not one hundred percent sure. Is that the same one that you've got? Yeah, that's you saw right through that. That's why I was asking. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, once I get further along, it kind of depends. You know, I was sort of just testing the waters because it was like yeah. if it didn't work good on Brendan's bike. And if it doesn't work good on the dyno thing, then I might just not really make them, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
but it it seems like it might actually work and so if they work then i'm gonna actually try and produce them and and like get it into a kit that anybody can bolt on you know yeah well it'd be awesome because you know the way of of choppers it seems like with this i was i want to be careful how i word this but i think with this generation like this chopper culture uh-huh. the notion is um you know smaller uh smaller thinner uh skinnier and um it, so it seems like this is just a natural progression um you know everything else has gotten skinnier and smaller on the bikes you know or more yeah. stripped down so like the air cleaner is just the next thing yeah for sure um tell tell us a little bit um this is kind of along the same lines, but I would love to go through each and every one of your bikes and have you talk about them, but I'm going to skip to uh, Golden Dawn. Tell us a little bit about what inspired Golden Dawn. Well, so so Golden Dawn, for, for people who don't know, is the Born Free 4 bike, the Turbo Bosuzoku um, Evo Chopper spaceship thing. <laughs> Awesomeness. Uh, the local name for it amongst friends is Golden Dong. <laughs> so <laughs> so awesome. that's, the, that's the real name. But um, I just wanted to build, like, I've really been into, like, the Bosuzoku bikes of Japan, mm-hmm. which a lot of people may not know about what those are, but they're, like, these crazy 80s, 70s 80s japanese bikes that these gangs ride around japan and basically annoying people mm-hmm. like <laughs> like the whole the whole bosuzoku thing is basically to be anti so okay. people okay. look at them and they're like dude these bikes are so insane and so stupid looking like they look dumb you know <laughs> but that's kind of the point like it's basically to take everything that you see and like and flip it on its head, you know? It's like the anti-chopper, you know? Got it. Um, and I totally dug that whole, like, dichotomy, you know? Um, and I'm just not that serious of a guy, you know? Like, at the end, uh, like, maybe in my head I am, but at the end of the day, I just like goofing off. And, and it, so it's like, <laughs> sometimes the chopper thing just seems way too serious, like, I love choppers like, and, and I'm growing actually, I'm beginning to kind of like start noticing myself growing into the chopper thing a lot more than I used to be, mm-hmm. um, or, or understanding it more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just like the idea of goofing off. And so like, I, I look at that, at those bikes and I'm like, you can't look at these bikes and not laugh. Like you can't look at them and not I, I mean, honest, like people tag me in a, in them all the time on Instagram, and it's like, okay, this guy's got a uh, like a cafe tail section with a sissy bar that's made out of like like built in out of fiberglass that's literally ten feet tall on the back. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, that makes any like super overly tall chopper sissy bar look like kid shit you know like (laughs) so anyways like when they invited me to do born free four i kind of just well a i 
I always just want to do something that's going to like sort of bug people. Like, <laughs> you know, that that's just going to be like, I don't know. I just wanted to show up with something that was like really going to weird people out. And, uh, so I was like, okay, I want to do a Bosuzoku bike. And I was just going to do like a straight up, you know, straight up Bosuzoku bike. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know, it's a chopper show. Like, what if I kind of tried to mix both of those things together and do, you know, like kick the fairing up like a Bosuzoku bike, but have a hardtail like a chopper. Mm-hmm. And then turbocharge it like why not yeah <laughs> i i had turbo like every car that i had owned so why not try turbocharging a bike you know um but i kind of wanted to take all of that stuff and just do like a really clean version of it yeah so like you know most of the boss zoku bikes are so like just insane paint jobs like fluorescent pink and white and yellow and blue and you know like crazy flags coming off of them and stuff Mm -hmm. so i kind of wanted to like take that and then take some race inspiration that i you know had gained through the car stuff that i've kind of wanted to put into a bike but it hasn't really made sense on a on a chopper and so i was like okay this is sort of my like arena to do something that's just way dumb like like build a bike that doesn't make sense at all like why turbocharge a harley harleys are slow like right it's got a turbo but it has drum brakes like (laughs) it's a hardtail but it has a racing fairing you know like like just pretty much take everything and just sort of twist it up you know um there's a there's a saying in the art community, right? To uh, well, at least from what I've heard, because I'm not an artist, my wife is. <clears throat> that um, you first got to learn all the rules to break all the rules, and it seems like you went through all learning all the rules, and then with that bike, you kind of just broke them all. Yeah, I could kind of see that. the The thing that I would say about that, though, is like, look at my next bike, though. Yeah, which I was with- gonna, I was going to just bring that up. Yeah. The 52, so, right? What was that? The 52 panhead? Yeah, uh-huh. Yep. So, so I'm kind of glad that I get to have this conversation because <laughs> because the whole my whole thing is that I want to have a progression, you know? Mm-hmm. Like to me building the same bike twice just seems dumb. Yeah. Yeah. To me, I mean, like, it works for some people, you know? Uh, I mean, like, I know Max said that if he could just build his 38 over and over and over, then that would probably be awesome for him, you know? Sure. And that's cool. Like, I'm starting to understand that, you know? But but for me, it's like every bike that I want to do, I want to – like, I I think I'm really into the learning process. Mm -hmm. And so it's like every corner, if I can try and learn something different – and take something else away from the bike, you know, the bike process, then I think then I've won, you know, like then I, like to me, then I'm being successful. Like, so I guess what I was going to say with that is it's like the, like the Bosuzoku bike was sort of like a Jackson Pollock or something like, we'll just throw everything out there and like, we'll just try and break a bunch of rules and like do something crazy. That's like going to bug people. And like, 
that's gonna like really just try and do something weird you know and then like almost the exact 180 of that is is the mk ultra the the panhead you know Mm -hmm. where you know like it's kind of like when i went to the hot rod shop and i had been working on like all those really fancy race cars and then i went to the hot rod shop and was like oh these like these are just stupid ford like cars you know who cares it's not like a ferrari that i was working on but then once you start getting into it you realize like how much that actually takes you know like like i don't know i think you know, I built the turbo bike, and then later that summer, I went to Sturgis mm-hmm. for the like Michael Lichter thing, um, and uh, I really I, I met. I mean, I'd met him before, but I met Sean Donahue there, and and uh, got to talk with him a lot, and like I don't know, it was like. Sean and Josh and Dave Polgreen and Dave, um, and uh, like Dan Carr and all like all those guys there, mm-hmm. Jeremiah from Love Cycles, like yep. Yep. Ha- hanging out with those guys for the week. Like you know, I was friends with a lot of those guys before, but hanging out with them for the week and like seeing, you know, we were like riding our bikes around in the canyons and stuff, and like. I don't know. I guess seeing how they treated a chopper or how a chopper was a bike to them mm-hmm. was like a really big eye opener to me. Um, how so? I don't know. It was like uh, it, it started to make sense, like the simplicity of of a chopper, you know? Because, mm-hmm. like, to be a hundred percent honest, like in the years past, like like Born Free Three. I was kind of naive and I felt kind of ripped off because like the triumph that I built for born free three was crazy. I mean, like the front end was completely made from scratch. Like it was these airfoil aluminum girder forks that were, you know, like the front end on that bike was like $5,000, you know, just to which, build, um, which bike was that? Was it the, the speed master? Okay. So it so like I showed up to that bike show and I had you know this crazy front end, mm-hmm. the entire frame was built from scratch, all lug joints, the tank built from scratch, fender, literally everything except for the wheels and the engine was built by hand from scratch completely. You know, it's an amazing uh, looking bike, by the way. Yeah, and so I showed up with that thing, and everybody else pretty much had just choppers, and I was and I you know walked away empty-handed and i was kind of like i knew that i was going with a weird bike and that it probably wasn't going to do very well you know Mm -hmm. but i was just kind of bummed because i was like man like i just killed my like i literally killed myself to get that thing done you know like Mm -hmm. i put every ounce of my being into that bike and felt like it it just got blown over, you know? And and I'm sitting back looking at it going, dude, everybody else's bikes are just 
choppers. Like it's just like a wishbone frame with a wassail tank and a pam head that you bolted together and right. you know, like blah blah blah, you know, a bait seat and Flanders handlebars, like big deal, you know? It's some you didn't even make the handlebars. You bought some old, you know, clapped out Flanders bars and rechromed them, you know? Right. And I kind of ripped off about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and then and I think that that's why I built the turbo bike after that. Cause I was like, I'm just going to build like a ultimate fuck you bike. Like I'm just going to build <laughs> something stupid, you know? Um, the original, the original idea for born free four was that I was going to get like a wishbone frame mm-hmm. and I was going to, I had some like pan head parts. And so I was going to like put the motor in upside down and then I was going to get, like, a bait seat and reupholster it, like, get rid of the original cover and, like, cut down some Flanders handlebars or something. <laughs> and, like, take a wassail tank and crank it vertical, like, for the ultimate Frisco tank, yeah. you know? like, <laughs> And just build this stupid bike, you know? Um, uh, but then I decided that that was kind of stupid and immature and didn't really make a lot of sense, you know? Um, so yeah, anyways, fast forward to like going to Sturgis and hanging out there and just realizing like, Hey, these guys do put a lot of work into these bikes. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the bikes have so much like gnarly fabrication work on them, but you don't notice it because it's done so well, yeah. you know? Um, you know, like squeezing a shovel head into a, into a VL frame, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, like just all sorts of like crazy fabric that's go, that goes unnoticed because it's done so well that to somebody like me that doesn't know like all the cool parts that well, mm-hmm. I just wasn't even noticing it, you know? Um, and then seeing like, Sean, he blew his motor up because he was riding like three people around on his like stroker shovel head <laughs> all over, like through the mud and dirt and stuff yeah. and ended up blowing the motor up. And so he just pulled his bike out of the, out of the bike show. The, so this was his bike from a couple years ago. And so he pulled his born free four shovel head out of the show and, and rode it home. Like from wow. South Dakota wow. to, to California, he'd literally like ri- barely ridden the bike before, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I left Sturgis and drove home, and then Sean rode home like the next day and rode to Salt Lake and stayed on my floor, you know. And and it was like, wow, like that's pretty badass. Like that thing, that motor is like, you know, fifty something years old, and you yeah. just like rode the thing a thousand miles, you know, like, and it's not even missing a beat. Like that's pretty cool. That's you know? pretty awesome. <laughs> and, and just like understanding like sort of more the core of like the stripped down nature of like, okay, like gonna run a mag on this thing so that I don't have to have any wires. Like, like, like minimalizing the, the, uh, possibilities of things that can go wrong you know yeah. like i don't know like i i think maybe just 
I don't know why, like maybe just realizing that there, that less is more a lot of times, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that it's one of those things where building a chopper that's more, uh, subdued and isn't crazy and super over the top. That's kind of the most chopper thing you can do, you know, like, like yeah. that's the yeah. point, right. You know, and it's like maybe trying to understand that, you don't have to go to the ends of the earth. Like, like it's almost this punk rock thing where it's like, you don't have to like, like punk to me or hardcore, like, like a hardcore record. That's got the best studio. Mm-hmm. It's not a hardcore record. Like a, a hardcore record is supposed to be do it yourself, like right. record right. in your garage and it has some feedback, you know, like, like a chopper that's so that everything is totally dialed is is like kind of weird you know yeah i know exactly what you mean so yeah when when they invited me to do born free five i i was like okay i i honestly did like a little bit of uh um research and saw what everybody else was building Mm -hmm. (laughs) a little recon, you know? Yeah. And was surprised. I was like, wow, like a lot of people aren't doing like straight up choppers this year, which Mm -hmm. was crazy, you know, like to see it kind of go that way, just building weird bikes a couple years before. And now I'm like, wow, like actually a lot of people are sort of straying from the total traditional chopper thing, you know? Right. And so in my head, it was like, well, how do I turn that on its head? You know, well, I'll build a more traditional style chopper. (laughs) Um, And that was like a serious, that was like a serious learning curve for me, you know, Mm -hmm. and that I enjoyed it for that. You know, it was like, it's like, okay, you're in a competition with the best builders in the entire world. What are you going to do to make a bike that stands out from the crowd, but it's not what you just described the, the, you know, Sony records, studio, hardcore album. Like, (laughs) how do you pull that one off? You know, (laughs) very carefully. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I don't, I spent a lot of time on the phone with guys that I respected about traditional bikes and, and, you know, like I sat down with Sean, you know, like one time when I was out there and we kind of just nerded out about what the deal is, you know? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's not talking about the actual bikes is talking about just sort of like aesthetics in general or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. or like many a late night with chopper Dave or, um, Dave Polgreen, you know, like mm-hmm. so many nights talking to Dave, like <laughs> <laughs> about like, you know, he, him being like, dude, I just spent like 10 hours, you know, extending this pea shooter front end that absolutely nobody is going to notice. Right. I'm sitting here going, oh, that's crazy because I just made these handlebars that like taper from oval tubing back into round tubing and like spent way too much time on them. But like, (laughs) 
I'm stoked, you know? But it's like, I still wanted it to be like, you stand back and you look at the bike and you're all, okay, that's a chopper. Yeah. And then you get up close and you're like, whoa, like he made this front end from scratch and like the frame is totally tweaked out. Like the frame has like, you know, four inches up and deraked and, you know, extended the seat post and tweaked the rear legs. And, you know, most people just look at it and they're like, oh, it's just a chopper. Like it's just a, you know, they look at the back, they're like, oh, it has the Harley axle plates and it's got the Harley neck. So it must be a wishbone frame, you know? I'm I'm looking at it right now. I've been staring at this picture while you're, while you're talking and um, it's what's, it kind of, it takes me back to what you talked about in that, um, simplicity and like i don't know if you said this directly but the subtleness of or the subtle changes maybe from like a a standard chopper right there's there's Uh some subtle things in there that that stand out to me Um, first and foremost it's an absolutely beautiful bike thanks um the what i always look for in a bike is um continuity between the the rake of the forks and the handlebars and a sissy Uh bar yeah. Like those are the two things I look for, you know, are they, is there, and nobody can see this except for you and me since we're video chatting, but you right. know, are the, are the forks, you know, in line with the sissy bar, like from a aesthetic standpoint, or is the sissy bar like straight up and down and the bars are all tweaked forward, you know? Right. Um, and well, the, if you, if you want to know the answer to that, <laughs> are they <laughs> aren't, aren't parallel? Because if you if it's parallel, then the sissy bar looks like it's leaning back way too much. Does it? Okay, must so be just be I, the angle then. <laughs> so what I do, what I do is I pick a radian, like I I pick a center point that's way out in space, mm-hmm. and I and I find a bunch of lines on the bike that all originate from that from that central point. So, like for instance. You know, if the par- if the sissy bar and the forks were parallel, they would never touch in uh, out in the horizon. You know? Right. But if you kick the sissy bar forward just a little bit, they'll eventually meet at this point. Right. And if you take like the seat post mm-hmm. uh, on the frame, that'll eventually meet at a certain point. You know. And I go through, you can't always get it, but I go through and like try and find things on the bike that can all line up at that imaginary point out in space. Um, it's crazy that it does. I mean, you know, I'm, again, I'm looking at it now that, that we're talking about, it, but sissy bar forks, I see the rear cylinder, uh, pushrod tubes, you know, the way that like, and the same thing, the seat post and it's just, yeah. It's beautiful. And that's like I, I draw stuff out a lot before, and I'll try and like kind of. It's easy on paper to kind of line that out, you know. Like, I'll just sort of mock it up, and then take a picture of it, and then take it home, and and put tracing paper over the top, and like start sketching like loose lines out in in outer space, and try and get it to line up, you know. Right. Um, and more often than not, it ends up looking good, you know. Well, it definitely, it came out fantastic. I mean, and there's so many subtle things in there that, you know, people may or may not notice. Like, I mean, I love the, um, that the small, uh, front drum, that's not standard, obviously for a 52. No, that's a Yamaha wheel. (laughs) Yeah. I paid 35 bucks for it. So 
it's uh, awesome. <laughs> all you guys with your uh, Akron rims and uh, <laughs> and K-Model drums suck on that, you know. Right. Right. Granted, granted, I, I, you know, have like 15 hours into machining the hub down, so it looks cool. But <laughs> well, you did a fantastic job on it. Um, you know, it's um, I, I've thought about this and and kind of posed this question privately in conversations about you know when people are walking around born free. I mean, it's a great show. And inevitably it comes up because people that the guests that we have on the show obviously are involved in some way, shape or form. Um, It's not planned that way. It's just how relationships within the community work. It's like, Oh, well, so-and-so knows so-and-so. Well, I want to interview that person. So I go and call them up. But the question that comes up is, you know, do you think that out of a handful of people that anyone ever really looks at these bikes and like really gets it, you know, I mean, you see the handful of people. There are those. Like, I'll watch them. They'll be standing around just staring at a bike for, you know, they're they're off in a, in a trance. And then there's just the crowd of, you know, cattle moving through, kind of just like, mmm, chopper, mmm. <laughs> and the answer that usually comes back is, you know, no, I most people don't get it. It's, uh, to them, it's, you know, a chopper is a chopper is a chopper. Um they don't take the time to stand back and really look at what goes into, you know, like you said, the hidden pieces that are custom fabricated um, so well that they look like they're just natural. They're supposed to be there. Yeah. I I don't really know. I mean, I think that there's just a lot of people. I mean, there's thousands of people there. Like somebody's got to get it, you know, Like, like I feel like thinking that you're the only person that gets it is kind of, selfish you know um so i yeah i think people get it like i mean i think they're there for a reason you know like do they do they know that you spent you know like like do they actually i i don't think that most people understand the extent that the people in the builder series go to you know Mm -hmm. like the insanity that really is that like I don't know how you could ever show that to somebody unless you've done it yourself, you know, like Mm -hmm. it, it, I wish that there was a way that like people could understand how much every single person in that contest has like really just killed themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I think, I think everybody's on a different level, you know, like, as far as spectators go, you know, like it just depends on how many hours you spent wrenching on your bike, you know? Sure. <laughs> it's probably, it's one of those progressive things, right? It's like, you know, not like you said, not everybody's on the same level and some people are there just to have a beer and kind of look at some killer bikes and leave. And then other people are there, you know, just multiple levels. Yeah, for sure. And that sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't, you don't even grasp it you know like like i I mean there's lots of bikes that luckily i was able to go to brooklyn as well Mm -hmm. and a lot of the bikes from born free four went or born free five went to brooklyn Mm -hmm. and uh you know i was fortunate enough to go to both of those shows and be able to look at the bikes i mean honestly like by the time born free gets there like the day of the show 
when I've done the builder series, I'm just smoked. Like, yeah, I've just spent, <laughs> you know, the like literally the last month of my life with nothing mattering, but that, you know, like lost all my money because of it, lost girlfriend because of it. <laughs> <Yeah. you know? laughs> it's like, people don't get that, but you know, like when I go look around, I'm half a zombie, you know, but like getting to see a lot of those bikes in New York, I got to look over it and it was like, wow, like a lot of those bikes had some really cool stuff on them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think it's always about that, you know, like sometimes I think it's like you can walk up to it and, and just be like, that's a cool bike. Like I, I'm, you don't have to like, you know, break out a microscope and look at everything. <laughs> I think sometimes just look standing there and just being like, if I was cruising that thing down the highway, I'd feel badass. You yeah. know, yeah. that's really what matters. I think you know. I, I I think I I can agree with that because ultimately, you know, bikes look killer sitting there, but it's a different story when you're riding it. You know. Yeah. And I think everybody does that. Otherwise, magazines and you know websites that that feature uh, pictures or videos of these bikes wouldn't be as popular as they are because we all like to dream, you know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's <clears throat> I, I, like really that's what the whole thing's about, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, um, gosh, I mean, I I feel like we could just keep talking for like another hour or two. <laughs> then you would officially have the longest podcast on Chopper Profits. Um, I want to ask, let me see. I want to ask a, a a question that normally um, I end off on, but I want to ask it maybe a little bit different way. Um, if you could summarize the best experience that you've had um, in life so far, uh, what what would that experience be like, and what what is that experience? Man, <laughs> that's a gnarly one. Um, goofing around with my friends, you know, hmm. like like I, I know that's not like a super deep answer, but like when you're able to just like I, I don't know it's like something about being able to just cut loose and like like when you get into that moment of I, I, yeah I, I guess I'll take that back a little it's not just like with my friends but like when you get into that moment when you aren't thinking about anything mm-hmm. which I think that's why I like skateboarding and I like motorcycles because it sort of forces you into that yeah but even when you're just goofing around with your friends and you're like at the tattoo shop and you're like, let's just draw stuff and throw it in a hat and then we'll just tattoo it on each other. <laughs> so, you know, like you're not overthinking it and you're just laughing and goofing off and I don't know, you just are, or, or like you're in your head, you know, like you're, I think that's what it is. It's like when you're just in your head and you're like doing something super cool, but you're not overthinking it. Yeah. Like, I don't really know how to explain that. Like, 
I'll, I'll get that. I'll, I guess it's in the zone, you know, yeah. like in the zone when it's like you're going to, I don't know, do some like frontside air on a ramp. And that's the only thing you're thinking about is the frontside air. Or if you're like building some crazy part at three o'clock in the morning at your shop and you're like, next thing you know, you're like, wow, it's, I just spent three hours on this little bracket. And you're like, not missing those three hours. You just sort of nerded out on it. And like, you weren't thinking about paying your bills or getting sued or whatever, you know, like (laughs) you can just chill out and do it, you know? Yeah. I I think I know exactly what you mean. I mean, it's, it is a hard thing to articulate. How do you articulate, you know, (laughs) not stressing out about anything or not really thinking about anything except what is in that immediate moment. Yeah, but it's almost like you're not even thinking about it. Like, right. it just comes natural, you know? Like, like, I mean, I, I get that experience outside of motorcycles all the time. But, like, to keep it on topic, kind of, it's like, that's the thing that's kind of crazy about, like, the Builder Series thing is it's like, I'll look back on that bike, like on my panhead, mm-hmm. and I look at it, and it's like, I don't even remember building some of that stuff. Like, <laughs> and I'm straight edge. I mean, I don't do drugs or anything. <laughs> but, I, but I, I like, I'll just look at it and I'll be like, dude, that part turned out really cool. Or, or like, how did I even come up with that idea? Like, that's weird, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like when you're, and I think that's why, why I bring up the builder series thing is it's like, you're jamming so hard mm-hmm. that like everything kind of doesn't matter. And, and you're, all you want to do is get the thing done. And in order to do that, the, the stress level and like the timeline and everything coming down, like it, it's crazy and it like is really weird and stuff, but when you're like in the thick of it and you're like, I, I, I run into this every year. And I think a lot of the, the builders do where you come down to it and you're like, okay, I've got about like 72 hours worth of work to do on the bike. Like I, I can calculate it close, you know, mm-hmm. like I gotta do this, 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 and this. And I've got like 72 hours worth of work. And I, I live in Utah and I've got to be in California in 48 hours. Yeah. So we, we've got a differential here. Like <laughs> this is a disproportionate, uh, uh, ratio, right. you know, and somehow you pull it off. Yeah. You know, and it's just like insane. And you're like, you're like, Hey, I'm either just going to give up right now. Or B, I'm just going to keep jamming and jamming and jamming until I get it, you know? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do and sometimes you don't, (laughs) (laughs) you know? But in those moments, I guess to get us back on the tracks, uh, in in those moments, it's like you do some cool stuff and like where your head's at on that stuff is so crazy. Like it it feels so cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Man, it has been awesome. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's been awesome speaking with you. Um I am I f- like I said before, I feel like we could continue talking and and 
I think people would continue listening. Um, but I do want to, um, just again, you know, uh, push your website for you. Um, it's P A N G E A S P E E D.com. You go there and and hit up Andy's site and check out uh, his store. He's got his gallery of uh, different bikes that he's built. And, um, and then obviously he has links to his blog. I don't know if you want to give out your, excuse me, your Instagram. Um, it's just, it's just Pangea speed. And there you have it. (laughs) (laughs) It's simple enough, right? Right. Um, well, Andy, thank you so much for, for being on the cast. And, um, we definitely, we're going to have to have you back on at some point to catch up and, and talk about some more stuff. Oh yeah. Um, but thanks for being on. I appreciate you taking the time and, um, I'm going to let you, uh, leave our listeners with, uh, Andy's words of wisdom. Whatever that may be, it's all yours. Go. Andy's words of wisdom are, it's simple to make something difficult, but it's difficult to make something simple. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Andy. Well, thanks for being on, man. Hell yeah. Thanks for having me.